What is up, guys? It is July 11, 2016. Lots going on this week. Welcome to the debut episode of the Excuse You podcast, a podcast for Boston sports fans by a Boston sports fan, me, Zach Barry. I'll be your host every week. Um, we got a lot to talk about. The Red Sox head into the All-Star break. They're 49-38, and 38, 11 games above 500, but still sit two games back of the Orioles' first place in the East. We'll talk about that. Uh, we won't dive into that too much this episode. I have a special episode for you guys coming out later this week devoted specifically to the Red Sox first half and looking forward to the trade deadline. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be up the second half of this week, Thursday, Friday, most likely. Uh, we'll also talk about the Celtics. The summer league games have started. Uh, Danny Ainge said that he doesn't think this team is done this offseason. They're going to continue to look to improve. Uh, we got some Isaiah Thomas news to talk about. Uh, Jalen Brown's been out. Uh, he's uh, battling a little bit of an injury, but we'll talk about his game when he has played in the summer league. Um, and we got Pete Blackburn on. We got a great discussion with him about the Bruins. Uh, we talked the Bruins offseason moves so far and looking into what this team can do next season. So let's jump right into that. We have, this is Pete Blackburn, and here we go. All right, so I'm here with Pete Blackburn, uh, sports editor for Uprox and co-host of Sunday Skate on WEI. Thanks for coming on, Pete. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so we'll just jump right in here. We're talking about the Bruins. So up to this point, uh, do you think the Bruins have had a successful offseason in terms of improving their roster? Um, yes and no. Um, it's a, that's a complicated question just because uh, their, their biggest detractor last year was, was obviously the defense, and they haven't done anything uh, to really improve uh, the blue line. So their, their, their forward group might be a little bit better, debatably. Um, but they they didn't improve where they needed the most. So honestly, I mean, the, the answer I guess is no, because that's the that's the biggest problem. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I'd say defense was the biggest focus going into the off season, and it's kind of stayed stagnant. And I know you loved the signing of Kevin Miller, so. <laughs> I so I I kind of like. I kind of over exaggerate by with how much I hate Kevin Miller <laughs> on Twitter, just as like a running joke. Yeah. I, I think I think that he he is okay for what he is, which is a third pairing defenseman, and he, he you know he's he's not he's not great, but he's not god awful. Uh, he he tends to look that way. Uh, just when he screws up, he screws up real bad. Yeah. Um, so he he he's fun to make fun of, but he. He's fine, um, but this the signing that they that they gave him the, ex, the extension, it just it just made no sense. They they not only did they give him you know more money than he's really worth, they also they, there was no need to retain him because they already have the a bunch of third pairing defensemen. So to re-sign him and give him the money that they gave him just really and the term. This really made no sense to me, especially when you already have a guy like Adam McQuaid, who is basically very similar. Yeah, I definitely agree with that analysis on that. 
so I love the signing of David Backus. I think he is a great Bruins player, but not so much at the cost of letting Louis Erickson walk. What do you? What were your thoughts on that? I think uh, I think that Louis Erickson is a better player than David Backus. Definitely. And I think that they're very different players, and I think that Louis Erickson was never really fully supported in Boston just because of the fact that he was the main piece in the Sagan deal, which was always going to be a bad deal. It was always going to be a bad trade. You're, you're giving up a superstar and getting, you know, Louis Erickson's not the superstar quality player that, that, that Tyler Sagan is. So he was always never really getting a fair shake here. But he was uh, he was super underappreciated. He was uh, he was a great two way forward, um, and I think that that he's a bit of a better player. But got uh, but fans in Boston will uh, will love David Backus more just because he kind of fits the the Bruins like big bad Bruins. However, you know for better or for worse, he fits that mold. Uh, I didn't love the fact that they that they went as long uh, as they did on that deal. Um, which I think it was five years. Yeah, five um, years for a thirty-two-year-old. Yep. Uh, don't love that, especially when he plays a heavy game and it's uh, his style of play. Those type of players kind of deteriorate faster and and kind of decline faster. It's definitely the riskier guys. move. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, they ended up going basically five years for a thirty-two-year-old instead of six years for a thirty-one-year-old in Louis Erickson. Um, and I think that Louis Erickson's game will most likely hold up longer than David Backus's will. But apparently they were just looking for a different style of play. Yeah, I think Erickson had it tough with just with the fan base in Boston being plagued with injuries and, as you said, always being compared to Sagan. He just was playing from behind and couldn't really get on the good side. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, last week there was some discussion, an article was brought up on if the Bruins should trade their starting goalie, Tuka Rask. Um, I know that's an absurd move for, as someone who understands hockey, and I know you agree with me. What are your thoughts on just anyone who thinks it would be a good idea to get rid of Rask? Um, so, I've kind of, I've always been a Tuka apologist where, you know, crap all over Tuka for no reason and yeah, kind agree. of uh, more, more crap than he deserves so uh, I've always been a Tuka apologist but I've kind of loosened up on my stance that like there's no way in hell they should trade this guy uh, I still think it's, it's a super bad idea um, but here's the thing I, I thought it was a, a terrible idea for a team that uh, was pretty close to contending and like the the further we go into this regime with Don Sweeney and and Cam Neely, it, I'm less and less convinced that this is a team that's going to contend. Uh, so maybe trading Tuca isn't a god awful idea in terms of just building for the future. Um, but I still think that that if you have an elite goalie and you believe in the talent that you have on the roster, then trading trading the elite goalie is like the last thing in the world you want to do and I don't understand why why all these people keep like asking for that to happen as like a solution that's not a solution uh, there's no way in hell if you trade to the rest you're going to get better uh, 
um, like right right off the bat, especially now where they're playing with a blue line that that absolutely sucks. Their blue line sucks, and uh, Tuukka Rask is arguably their best defensive player um, because he's the last line of defense and he's a very very good goaltender. So um, there's. I, I just don't understand any situation where you trade him and you get immediately better, even if you're trading him for a top four defenseman that they really desperately need. If sure you get a top, if you can get a top four defenseman for him, that's great. But who's going to play? Who's going to be in net for you? Is that, somebody significantly worse than Tukarask? That was my point. Is you make the move even for a top four defenseman, you're taking one step forward, two steps back. Exactly, and I mean, if there was a year to do it, it would have been last year. Yeah. When they had Martin Jones under their employment, and who was a, a like a hybrid backup at that point, where he was yeah. a backup, but he was a proven backup who was going to get a job as a starter eventually. Um, he's a very good goalie. Um, so if if they were gonna trade Tuca last year, would have been the year. Uh, and you know, right now, honestly, is like the worst possible time to trade Tuka because they don't have a ba- they don't have a backup goalie who who can be a proven starter. They signed Anton Anton Hudobin who is a, a fine backup, but he's not he's not a starter. Um, so uh, you either gotta hold on to Tuka and improve and improve the the blue line in, in other ways, or you have to um, trade Tuka for future pieces and then hope Malcolm Subban or somebody else like that can play goalie and. Uh, a handful of years. Yeah, if you move Tuca now, you're basically committing to a rebuild, and that's I don't think that's the direction this team needs to go right now. Uh, so yeah, yeah, but like the but here's the argument. I I agree with you that if you're trading Tuca, it it should be for the purpose of a rebuild. But there are so many people who um want to trade Tuca to improve the team now, which makes no sense. It's just That just won't happen. Well, yeah, that gets me to a point I wanted to bring up is someone tweeted at you, goaltending is the most replaceable position in hockey, which... <laughs> which is, like, a, arguably the most asinine thing anybody's ever tweeted at. Which, if you think that's an opinion that's true, you shouldn't ever talk about hockey in an analytical sense. Uh, and then, I completely agree. And, and you responded to them, and I... I died when I read this. You told them you're the most replaceable person on Twitter. It's, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, yeah. there are people, there are countless people on Twitter with bad opinions. So that person is just another replaceable, uh, replaceable piece of machinery in, in, in the Twitter atmosphere. Yeah, and Twitter just gives these people their place to voice whatever they want to say, no matter how ridiculous it is. I will say that that, that, that comment, when that person tweeted at me, I was I had my faith restored by how many people tweeted back at the person being like, you are a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, anyone who thinks that, I can't even look them like in the face and understand anything else that would come out of their mouth. <laughs> so, Kelly signs with Ottawa. The Bruins have an assistant captain role open. Who do you see coming in, filling that role, and do you think Chara should continue to be the captain on this team as opposed to someone like Bergeron? Um, so I said it after after uh, last season that I, I, I don't think that it would be a terrible idea 
um, a, either a change in leadership or more leadership going into the room, um, which is a reason why I I don't love the Bacchus contract, but I do think that it that the Bacchus signing will provide uh, will inject some leadership into the room. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he got the A. Uh, that you know, obviously that is that's vacant. But my dark horse, and I don't know how how even dark this is, but uh, I I said last year that that Tory Krug is a guy that I wouldn't be surprised ended up with an A at some point, um, whether or not it's it's this year or you know down the road. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't rule out Tory Krug. Um, but I think there's a good chance that it goes to Bacchus. Yeah, I think that would be the smart move, and definitely like you said leadership is kind of in question with this team i've always said once you got rid of sean thornton even though he didn't have the biggest impact on the ice he was a huge leader in the locker room that many people didn't notice and oh and now with kelly gone they're kind of and campbell a lot of leaders in the locker room are they're losing and they haven't really filled those voids to per se yeah yeah and so when i so it's not really an indictment of, of Chara's leadership where i say that i you know, it wouldn't be the worst idea to take the seat from him and give it to, to Bergeron. I, 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 I like Chara, and I think that he's a great leader. Um, but I do feel like there's kind of a, a changing of the guard that it would kind of signal that that might be not necessary, but welcomed. Uh, I mean, Chara's on the on the downside of his career, and he's got a few years, maybe a few years left. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I don't think that it would be the worst thing in the world, and I don't think that he would be crazy upset about it if it went to Bergeron because Bergeron has deserved the C uh, or has done everything, you know, to earn that C. Um, it's just the fact that, you know, Char has had it and, you know, he hasn't gone anywhere and he's been great for, for years. So, I, I mean, it, it, it might be, uh, you know, it. I, 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 again, I didn't think that it was going to happen, but I, I think that it would be the worst thing in the world. I think it would work if they decided to do that, but I don't think they will. So two questions left. The first one is, at this point with the roster set up the way it is, how competitive do you think this team is next year? Personally, I don't see them being any different from the last different years where they're right on the bubble. Uh, I don't know if – they're definitely not in a – position in my opinion that they can make a deep playoff run with the roster they have together right now yeah i mean i would, I would put them in that same spot i think that um they're probably a, a bubble team um they'll be helped by the fact that the east is is the inferior conference um but they haven't done much to improve for, since last year um i think they're kind of they're kind of the same team. If anything, maybe they got a little bit worse just because of, uh, you know, Char is going to be a year older. They got rid of Seidenberg, um, who, who, again, wasn't great, but he was one of the better-ish defensemen that they had on the roster. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not confident where they are um, in terms of uh, their defensive core. So uh, I think that's the most important thing, and I think that's going to hinder them again this year. Yeah, you mentioned Chara's declining skill, and this is my opinion personally, but I don't, Chara is barely a top four defenseman with his, the only thing I think he still has going for him is his reach, he's lost his foot speed, he just doesn't have the same physical play he used to have, 
And I really didn't like the buyout of Seidenberg because he, he's not a great player, as you said, but he's kind of consistently just gives you that nice defensive presence that they're going to be lacking going into next year. Seidenberg, Seidenberg is on a terrible, terrible contract, and I mean that was, I mean that's not necessarily his fault, um, but you know he he's regressed and um, he wasn't wasn't great, um, but uh, I mean Chara I think is still top four. Um, he's certainly closer to the to the three four spot um, than he than he's been you know previously in his career where he was a clear number one guy. too many uh like bottom pairing guys that they're trying to get more out of than they should be like guys like kevin miller got bottom pairing guys but they're gonna try to squeeze you know top four minutes out of them and things like that um i think what i'm kind of interested to see is if they kind of give the younger guys like colin miller um and uh joe morrow those kind of guys if they give them longer leashes um, in this upcoming season, because uh, last year uh, it kind of seemed like they were going into the season with the hopes that those guys would be able to provide, uh, you know, an improve in younger uh, defensive core on the blue line. But every time they screwed up, they'd yank them out of the lineup and throw somebody else in there. And you kind of have to give uh, defensive guys, especially young defensive guys, room to grow and room to make mistakes. And they just weren't. They weren't. They weren't willing to do that last year. It didn't allow them to grow. Definitely, definitely. So we'll get in the last question here. Uh, a little bit off topic of hockey. Uh, if you could change one rule in any sport, what rule would you change and why? Oh, it's a curveball here. Um, well, I mean, if we're, if we're going hockey, yeah, obviously the, the big one is uh, reviewing outside. That oh, would my allow, God. Don't uh, even get me started review, about like, that. The, the stupid minuscule offsides. Seven uh, minutes before a goal away, was scored. Takeaway, takeaway goals. Um, but I think the stupidest, probably the stupidest rule in sports. Um, I don't even know if this is like a rule technically, but the, I would put the DH in the National League and not allow pitchers to hit. Yeah. Because it's just insane that that pitchers are still hitting and it's 2016. Well, there are some pitchers that can rake, so. That's true, but let them let them DH if they, if, if they want to. I think that I think the team should be allowed to use the pitcher as a DH if they if they so choose. Um, but there should be nine hitters in a in a major league baseball lineup, regardless of what league you play in. Definitely, I can get behind that. So thanks for coming on, Pete. Uh, Really enjoyed the talk on the Bruins. Everybody who isn't already following him, check him out on Twitter, at Pete Blackburn. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, that was Pete Blackburn. Loved what he had to say about the Bruins offseason so far. I think he was pretty much spot on with what I was thinking for most of it. Uh, also loved, I completely agree with him. And it's funny that he brought up baseball for his DH and the NL thing, I completely agree with that, and that leads us right into, so a perfect segment there from Pete, who didn't even know he was doing it, it leads us right into Red Sox, we're talking Red Sox now, Red Sox wrapped up the last series of the first half, sweeping the Rays, uh, they finished the first half with a record of 49-38, and 38. 
11 games above 500, two games back of the Orioles for first place in the East. Overall, not a bad first half for the Sox. Like I said, before I even start discussing anything about the Sox, there is, I'm saving, I'm not diving deep into any of this Red Sox stuff because there will be a special episode later this week and we're going to talk exclusively Sox. We're going to have some guests on talking just about the Sox first half and heading into the trade deadline. So we're just going to touch on a few things that happened this week, a couple things I want to talk about, and the rest is going to be saved for later this week. So if you want to hear more about the Sox, make sure you're listening to the episode that comes out. So the first half, had some. it was inconsistent. There was no consistency really anywhere except in the offense for the Red Sox. But overall, you can't complain about the first half. The pitching wasn't where we thought it was going to be, but it's starting to turn around. The problem is right now you only have three starting pitchers, and you can't compete with just three starting pitchers. Um, so they have to address that heading into the trade deadline, which everyone knows. But they've already started to make some deals. Um, they acquired infielder Aaron Hill for two minor league prospects. Uh, I really like this pickup for the Red Sox. Um, he's already shown impact, and he's a great depth player. And he's only played in the two games, the last two games of the Rays series. But he's a great depth player, and I honestly think some people are saying he'll be coming off the bench, but I can see him a lot more every day at third base. Uh, he can play second base and uh, stint TD when he needs some rest. And when he's at third base, that can allow Shaw to get over there and take some reps at first base and give Hanley a night off because those are your two, Pedroia and Hanley are your two older infielders and they're the ones that need that time off. Um, uh, he's swinging a hot bat right now. We'll see if that carries over until after the All-Star break. But I really like that move to add depth. They also made the move to bring in Ziggler from the Diamondbacks. Uh, first of all, you can't mention him without mentioning that he's a sidearm pitcher, which you gotta love, you know, throw some variety out there. Um, he's been a successful closer this year. Uh, I assume they bring him in for kind of the lockdown, that setup role. But with Kimbrell's injury, um, he got his first shot as a save last night, uh, Sunday night's game. To He came in, two strikeouts, got a ground ball. Straight up, three up, three down, exactly what we need out of a closer or anyone in a setup role. It's And that's the type of consistency we'll need from him moving forward that we did not get from um, the pen in the first half, which is another spot that you need to improve, starting pitching in the bullpen. You don't have a lot of consistency there at all. Uh, you don't have a lot of depth there. Um, Buckles is back there. Uh, some injuries. Kimbrell's out now. They said three to six. Uh, I've heard that they're hoping it's more closer to two to three. He goes under the knife. He goes in for surgery uh, on his meniscus, which if you haven't heard, he is out because he tore his meniscus shagging fly balls in batting practice, which, first of all, I have no idea why my all-star closer is shagging fly balls in batting practice and going hard enough that he can tear his meniscus. Uh, you can send anyone out there. I don't care who you send out there, but you're not sending your all-star closer out there shagging fly balls. I think that's just ridiculous. But 
either way, he's now out three to six weeks, and hopefully when he gets back, he's right back where he was um, the first half and can keep that streak going. Uh, Price, I know he's caught so much flack in the first half of the season, but he was dominant again. Uh, this was his first really, really dominant ace-like performance I've seen in a while, but he's putting up the strikeout numbers you'd expect from a guy like his stature. Um, and if he can keep keeping the ball in the yard and not give up so many home runs, he'll really be that ace the team need and thought they were getting when they signed him. Because in Sunday's game against the Rays, he threw eight shutout innings, ten strikeouts, one walk. That's his third straight game with at least ten strikeouts. So at least you know as of recently you're starting to turn it around and that you're consistently getting him out on the mound, getting strikeouts. You just definitely got to hone in keeping the ball from going over the wall because it's the home runs that kill him. So the Red Sox send six players. Uh, well, they're sending five. They would have sent six players to the All-Star game had Kimbrell been healthy. The five are Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., Xander Bogarts, David Ortiz, and Stephen Wright. And obviously the big surprise on that one, bigger than the rest, is Stephen Wright because he wasn't in even in your starting rotation at the beginning of the year, and he's proven to be one of your most reliable starters night in, night out, and he's a knuckleballer. That is blows my mind that that's the situation the Bruins are at the Bruins. Uh, the Red Sox are in, and that's just a situation which you hope wouldn't occur, but it's like a diamond in a rough. They were in a tough situation, and he stepped up and has just performed consistently, gotten wins, and done exactly what you need out of a starter in your rotation. Um, Poppy hit his 22nd home run in Sunday's game. Uh, he is just continuing to dominate. Uh, I'm going to be so sad. It just kind of clicked today, seeing everyone talk about him at the All-Star game, that he's retiring and won't. this is his last time doing all of this because I don't know what it's going to be like watching the Red Sox without Poppy. It's going to hurt. Poppy's the face of the franchise. Poppy's everything, you know what I mean? How do you watch a Red Sox game and not see Big Poppy cranking home runs and uh, hitting walk-offs and smiling in the dugout? So that's definitely definitely tough for Red Sox fans. I know it's tough for me. Um, I want to touch on the All-Star game counting for the World Series because I know it's talked about by everyone, but it is the dumbest thing ever. Why does the All-Star game count? The All-Star game is supposed to be fun. You're showing off talent. It shouldn't be um, counting for something as important as home field advantage in the World Series. That should be best record or head-to-head -head, um, by that standard. It shouldn't be by an All-Star game, which is completely arbitrary and you never know what you're going to get. Uh, doesn't mean the leagues are exactly equal in talent. Uh, so I just think it's dumb. All-Star game is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be for the fans. And I think that takes a lot out of the All-Star game. And I'd love to see the league do something differently and make it a lot more um, a relaxed environment. Not to say it isn't already, but definitely a more relaxed environment than what we're looking at right now. Because when... As much as many of these guys are playing for teams that know they're not going to be in the World Series, 
they know and have it in the back of their mind that like they need to win in order to get home a home field advantage for their league and that's it's not the way you want to go into an all-star game which of course you're supposed to have like if you're in the all-star game you're not getting the same rest that the rest of the players are over that break but you still could be kind of be able to step back from the tough schedule that you've had in the first half and gear up for the second half and having to go into a game competitively and trying to win it I think is a really tough situation and a dumb situation if you're the people in charge of this at MLB you gotta change it um, gotta change it next year that's all I want to talk about on the Red Sox right now again like I said special episode later this week just Red Sox uh, we're going to go in-depth of everything. I intentionally didn't talk about a lot of stuff because I want to save it for that. So stay tuned for that later. And we're going to talk about the Celtics now. So the Summer League game started, um, which, if you're like me and you're not the biggest Celtics fan, it's kind of irrelevant to for you. But you do kind of get to see the highlights and hear about the young guys that are hoping to develop into players that this Celtics team can rely on moving forward. So, the Celtics recently, when was it? Was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday, renounced Sellinger's qualifying offer and let Jared Sellinger become a unrestricted free agent. And today, he signed a one-year contract with the Toronto Raptors for around $6 million dollars. Um, Ainge said it's tough to let a guy like Sellinger go, um, but it, they felt it was the best move for the organization, and I'll agree with that. Um, Horford's in here now. Sellinger's going to play less of a role, but you're definitely going to miss his big body and his rebounding skills, and I think that'll be very noticeable unless they bring in someone to fill that kind of role that he solidified on this team as a rebounder. Um... So that brings us into Danny Ainge saying that he's looking for this team. He's expecting this team to make more moves this offseason and improve the roster more than they already have. I think with the addition of Al Horford and Jalen Brown, that this team has already improved itself from a 48-win team last year to a 50-55-win team next year. Granted, everyone stays healthy. I think Jalen Brown brings a lot to the table, and he has uh, uh, the ceiling is so high for his improvement level. Uh, and you gotta love the effort and the intensity he brings every day. He told a reporter, um, "The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement." And if you don't like him saying that, if you don't like his effort and how much it's clear that he wants to get better and become a great player. I don't know what characteristics you look for in a player if you don't like this. Um, his first game before he got injured, he was going hard to the bucket, trying to dunk on everyone, drawing fouls, getting line, and that's the kind of hustle and play that I think fits well into a Celtic system. Uh, I think he had 17 points and uh, 12 or 13 of those were from the free throw line, which, I mean, those are free points, and getting the line is a very important part in today's game, and being able to drive and draw those fouls 
and finish when you don't draw those fouls is a very important skill that is developed and it's nice to have it already there and to build off of if you're Brad Stevens in the Celtics organization with Brown. So I know a lot of people weren't overly excited with the pickup of Brown, um, but I think it definitely in the long run, especially if he can improve his shooting, can really impact this team. I think he can be a great, great player in this league, a perennial all-star if he gets to the level and he reaches where his development is projected to go. Um, Al Horford coming in, uh, it's great. It is so good to have a guy like that. That was a big hole on the team last year, kind of a big man with the versatility in his game where he can step out and shoot the mid-range or he can back you down. Um, Horford told reporters that he's working on his three-point game, so if he can even just improve his three-point shooting from a 25-30% to a 35-40% all summer practicing shooting threes, he can become a really great offensive threat and add the versatility that you lacked last year in the scoring department because we have Isaiah Smart can score. He scores in bunches. Horford will really add to that, and I think you'll have a more reliant stream of guys who can get buckets for this team as opposed to last year you were relying mainly on Isaiah and whoever else in each game stepped up to join him. There wasn't a solid one-two punch or a one-two-three punch, which is something that if you look at the teams that compete every year or the past few years in the finals, they have those layers. The Cavs with LeBron, Kyrie, Love, JR. Like, they can just go down the list. One person's not firing on all cylinders. The next one is, and they're following each other up. The Warriors get Curry, Thompson, Draymond, um, and Durant now. And it just adds that depth where if, where if one person isn't scoring or one person isn't carrying the team, there's another person right in line to take his place if that person shots off. And you can go down two, three, sometimes even four people before you get to the point where, okay, all these people aren't shooting. You're not going to score, and you're not going to win. But having all that depth makes it nearly impossible for to go into a game and have every one of your expected scorers to not be scoring. So I think if they can add, uh, solidify a third score, if Brown can become that, if Smart can really step up and consistently put up 15 points, 15, 20 points a night, that would be great for the team. And I think if they're able to do that, this team can win 50 to 55 games, uh, be right up there with the Cavs, Toronto, um, for the East. And if they play their cards right, could really make a run in the playoffs. I don't see any other team in the East competing in with those three teams. I think Toronto, with the addition of Sullinger, is a very good team. Uh, the Cavs, obviously, the defending champs, they have a lot going for them. They basically got the same roster. And they'll be tough to beat. But I think that the if the Celtics can match up with them, it won't be an impossible task to beat or at least force them uh, more than four or five games into a series in the playoffs.
So we already talked Bruins with uh, Pete, but we're gonna just I want just want to touch on Chris Kelly signs with Ottawa. Um, that's your assistant captain going. One of your assistant captains. Um, it's tough to see him go. A leader in the locker room, but um, definitely someone is impact on the ice wasn't as great as there was off the ice but it's definitely a piece a role player that's tough to lose but obviously the Bruins organization and the front office feels they have someone that can replace him on the roster so uh, with the assist an assistant captain spot being empty I'm just gonna talk about the whole captain situation as a whole I t we talked about it with Pete a little bit earlier I brought up the fact that I think that Chara um, should not be the captain on this team anymore and that it should finally be Bergeron's time to take that role. I think Bergeron is the biggest leader on this team. Chara is a great leader, but I think as he slows down, his leadership slows down with him as people stop to look at him. And I don't know, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but people have the less respect for him as he ages and becomes less effective on the ice uh i think chara was a big lead by example type guy now i'm not exactly sure the locker room situations with him but when if you're a lead by example guy and you lose that skill and the dominance that you had to lead with your your abilities as a captain diminish and i think it's time for bergeron to take that role i liked what pete said krug as an assistant captain, I think Backus coming in could be an assistant captain. He was a captain on St. Louis, clearly a leader. Um, I think those are three. That core group is your leaders on this team. I think that that's definitely a spot this team lacks is leadership and depth in leadership. But going forward, uh, I think they'll be successful with their captains and assistant captains and how they lead this team. They have a lot of great leaders, and that's a tough attribute to find and put together on a team. That's all. That's the last thing I wanted to touch on on Bruins there. Um, so we're going to jump into kind of just sports outside of the Boston sports realm. Um, Ray Allen has reportedly contacted the Warriors and the Cavs, among other teams, the Clippers and the Spurs, to play next season. He sat out last season, and it looks like he was just trying to join on and grab himself another ring, sign for the Vets minimum. And I don't know how I feel about this tarnishing Ray's uh, legacy, because clearly at this point he doesn't have Obviously, I haven't seen him play, but after sitting out a year and at his age, he doesn't still have what he had at one point. So it's clear that he's just trying to kind of hop on for the ride to get another ring to his name. And I think he just needs to hang him up and say, look, I did what I did in my career. I had a great career, but that's all I'm going to do. And I don't think chasing another ring at this point is something that benefits him. Um, I... I will be surprised if he does end up signing somewhere. He did a similar stunt, I guess you could call it, last year where he was talking with the Cavs at one point um, about uh, signing halfway through the year. 
we'll see what happens there. I just I don't like the move. I really don't. Uh, I love Allen as a guy, but this is not a move I agree with. Kevin Durant had his like welcoming press conference in Golden State, and he's embracing the villain role beautifully. Like I think he's gonna make this season a lot easier for people to hate on him than originally thought. I know a lot of people are saying, how can you hate this guy? It's Kevin Durant. He's so likable. He doesn't do anything to deserve hate. But you just got to look at some of the things he says and how he approaches the media. It'll be very interesting this season to see how he handles it because he already has had bad relationships with the media. In OKC, it's going to be a lot tougher for him in Golden State, and there's going to be a big, big circle and a target on his back every time he's in media circles and he's on the court and I don't know how he'll handle that pressure. So he told reporters at the press conference he said that he chose the hardest path this offseason which I think is absurd. Quote from Kevin Durant I think this is the hardest road because I don't know anyone here. I've never lived in this community, never played for this team and I took a leap. End quote. I think that is just ridiculous. You cannot honestly believe that this is the hardest route for you. You just signed with a team that set the record for the most wins in a regular season and lost, made it to the NBA Finals, knocked your team out of the NBA Finals after you were up 3-1 to one and couldn't close the deal. So you signed with that team because they already have the keys to win. But you think that's the hardest path. I would argue the hardest path would have been staying in OKC and trying to do something there. Because it is clear that you didn't necessarily have the characteristics around you in Oklahoma to win a championship. But the hardest path is not even close to signing with Golden State. I don't know how delusional um, he can be to think that is a serious statement um obviously i'm bitter i would have loved to see him in green but a lot of people were ripping him for saying that this is the hardest path for him some people were agreeing with him um or under i wouldn't say agreeing with him or but understanding what he was saying but a lot of it is that he took the easiest route to win a ring or get the best chance to win a ring and that cannot be the hardest path he also was in the news. Um, people were talking about him because the price of the his shoes increased. They were like eighty dollars to different pairs. I'm not a big sneakerhead, um, so I don't really care. Um, but the price of his shoes increased. They were like eighty dollars. Now they're like one twenty for one model, one eighty for another. And when asked why they increased, he just basically said, "Because I'm not an eighty dollar player." You could you could at least lie, you could you can feel you're more than you're worth more than selling eighty dollars shoes with your name on it, but you could at least lie and say you're trying to make better quality sneakers or you're trying to make better this or you're trying to pay your employees more who make the sneakers, which obviously is all a lie. But just saying that you're not an eighty dollar player just sounds bad and just further 
fixed my point that he is embracing the villain role perfectly. So, obviously, there will be a lot to talk about with Kevin Durant this season. I look forward to it. I look forward to everything that comes up with him. Um, I can't wait till the Celtics play Golden State and Isaiah drops 45 points and we win. Um, but that's it for this first episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, a lot of room for improvement. Uh, we got to work out some kinks, but the show will keep getting better. I hope you guys keep joining and listening in. Um, again, I've said it like a hundred times this episode, but the special Red Sox first half episode will be up later this week. Um, have a couple guests on that, one or two guests talking Red Sox, giving their opinions. Um, if you want to stay up to date on everything regarding the show, upcoming guests will be announced. Um, episode upload will be announced because I'm going to try to do Monday each week. Uh, they might be pushed back to Tuesday depending on my schedule. So uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Excuse You Sports or by liking the show on Facebook at Excuse You Podcast. All the updates will be posted there. Um, the show is uploaded on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. Uh, so follow it on any device. Any system you want to listen to on, there's no excuse to miss an episode. So subscribe to the show, uh, leave a rate, a review, love to hear what you guys have to say about it. Um, again, thanks to our guest Pete Blackburn for coming on and talking with us about the Bruins. Check him out on Twitter, at Pete Blackburn. Until next time, I'm Zach Barry. Follow me on Twitter, at It's Zach Barry.